And this causes me to know immediately, at least I feel like it's immediately, when something is wrong or out of place. In addition, I have a tendency to see, to see things as either right or wrong. And all of these features of my personality, they make for a rather interesting and unnecessarily long at times conversation with my husband, Josh. Especially when we're doing things around the house, like organizing the garage, doing a house project, remodeling something. Well, since we bought a fixer-upper house, these unique conversations, they have happened a lot more frequent. And one particularly telling conversation comes to mind from just last summer. You see, Josh and I, we were landscaping our front yard. We were shaping the flower beds and trying to decide the best way to get started, to go about it, right? Well, we both care about efficiency, but often we have different ideas of what efficiency looks like. I tend to care about everything, right? From the process a job is done to the highest quality of a finished product that will come from it. I want it all to be done at the fastest speed possible, but without forfeiting any process or quality. Not too much to ask, right? Well, when it came to shaping the flower beds, Josh and I got the idea of spray painting where we wanted the edges of the grass to be. Good. We both thought that was a good place to start. But as we both started to make that happen, I began to get the wooden stakes, the string, the tape measure, whereas Josh went straight for the spray paint. <laughs> I said something like, you can't just freehand it. We have to make sure that the yard is symmetrical, and the only way to do that well is to measure everything out perfectly, right? Well, Josh said something like, we can just eyeball it. It's close enough. It's not worth getting all that other stuff out. The paint won't last forever. If you don't like it, we'll cut the grass and we'll do it again. Oh my, well, there's nothing that I hate more than redoing a job that only needed to be done once. I'd rather take more time to do a job than is absolutely necessary if it ensures that it won't have to be done again. Well, because Josh's personality tends to avoid conflict and go along with what others are willing to do, um, at least, quote, he says, who are willing to fight to the death, want to do, <laughs> his words, not mine, he eventually, he gave in to my process. Great. However, when it was all said and done, what ended up working best was a little of both. Some parts of the yard were measured perfectly, and other parts were eyeballed. I know that I wasted time trying to verify that things were as perfect as they could be, and I was a little, a little short-sighted in the beginning by not considering that things could be done well with a bit more of a simple approach. As you can probably deduce on your own, there are both good and bad that comes from a perfectionistic tendencies, from my profession, perfectionistic tendencies. Because of my personality, I care greatly about doing things right. Justice is paramount. My uniquely strong moral compass 
that I have very high regard for is quick to decide if something is white or black. Do you know a perfectionist? Are you a perfectionist? And yet when I pursue justice from my perspective, I can get it all wrong. My perspective is just as narrow and imperfect, imperfect as everyone else's, though I don't always want to admit that. Such are the confessions of a recovering perfectionist. There's a portion of scripture that I believe was written by a recovering perfectionist. Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is no less than an incredible work of literary art. It's made up of 176 couplets, each one being numbered as a verse in our Bible. Those 176 couplets are divided into 22 stanzas of eight couplets each. Psalms 119 happens to be one of several acrostic poems within the collection of Psalms, but this one is a little more elaborate than the others. Instead of each single line or couplet beginning with a sequenced order of the Hebrew alphabet, the author of Psalm 119 has written an eight-couplet stanza for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. In other words, the first eight verses of Psalm 119 all begin with the Hebrew letter Aleph, the first letter of the Hebrew, Bible, the Hebrew alphabet. Verses 9 through 16 all begin with Beit, the second letter. And verses 17 through 24 all begin with Gimel, and so on. In fact, many Bibles have even the Hebrew letters um, signified over the stanzas. You might have that in your Bible as well. So if you ever need to learn the Hebrew alphabet, you can use Psalm 119. On the slide, you can see just the first stanza of eight couplets and how circled in red you can find that each um, each. Uh, line or couplet starts with that first letter of the alphabet. And also remember that Hebrew is read from left to right rather than right to left like we're used to, right? So there's just a little bit on the structure, the literary structure. But now let's consider the content. With less than a handful of exceptions, each couplet in some, has some sort, is some sort of statement about the ways and teachings of Yahweh. And these statements are made in a variety of ways. The psalmist there has many facets. The psalm, to the psalmist, there are many facets of Yahweh's teaching that needs a large vocabulary to describe. So he'll refer to them as your word, your law, which is probably better translated as a teaching. Testimonies, commandments, statutes, precepts, rules, or another translation, decrees, promises, ways, and even judgments. With this broad of a vocabulary for his subject matter, it's reasonably clear that the author is referring to a broader concept than the Ten Commandments. Almost certainly, he is referring to the totality of the written scripture, which could have included the entire Old Testament, depending on when it was written, but was surely no less than the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible. Psalm 119 is 
a long, elaborate statement of love and devotion for the teachings of Yahweh, to the way that things should be done. And of course, a perfectionist would be drawn to the way that things should be done. And perhaps at first glance, it would seem that there's no recovery in this perfectionist author. You have to wonder about someone who can say things like, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules at all times. Or, I have chosen the way of faithfulness, I set your rules before me. Or, I will keep your laws continually forever and ever. But at a closer look, reading a closer reading of this psalm provides a beautiful context. Yes, perhaps the author has a tendency to be a little preoccupied with perfection, but they're also aware that they are not perfect. This can be seen in several places throughout the psalm, but today I want to look specifically at the ninth stanza, which is verses 65 through 72. So feel free to turn there with me in your Bible. Psalm 119, verse 65, start there, and we'll read it. Um, I'll read it, and you can follow along in your Bible. Verse 65, you have dealt well with your servant, O Yahweh, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The insolent smear me with lies, but with my whole heart I keep your precepts. Their heart is unfeeling like fat, but I delight in your law. It is good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Notice the reference to going astray, followed by affliction. The author of the psalm is keenly aware that while they have an internal drive to do the right thing and to live well, they've made mistakes, right? They've strayed away from the way of teaching of Yahweh. A perfectionist would be inclined to defend themselves and their behavior. I never went astray. What? Or to transfer the blame in some other way. Well, yeah, I guess I strayed a little bit, but mostly it was because of the difficult people around me. Or the inevitable and horribly, the horrible vice of a perfectionist, which is comparison. I strayed a little, but not as far as the others have. They really need your help. But the author of Psalm 119 isn't a perfectionist. He's a recovering perfectionist. Yes, I care deeply about doing what is right, but I know that in order to live well, I need to be in touch with reality, and that requires humility. Humility to acknowledge that I don't know everything, that I make mistakes, that I need to learn from the one who is good. Which brings me to want to focus on verse 68, 
You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist acknowledges that God is good. The word good, it can kind of seem like a weak word in today's language because we have so many other better words, right? We have great, we have amazing, we have awesome, we have fantastic. However, in the Hebrew, the word used here is tov. And tov is a rather conspicuous word to the careful reader of the Hebrew scripture. In Genesis 1, God is creating a brand new world. And after each creation, he pauses and declares that it is good. Tov. In Genesis 2, God determines that it is not good for man to be alone. And then he tells Adam that all the trees in the garden are tov for food, except one that is not tov, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the rhythm of Genesis 1 and 2, it is clear that God is the one who ought to be deciding what is good and what is not good. And the world is thrown into chaos in Genesis 3 when first Eve and then Adam decide to determine on their own what is tov instead of trusting in the way and teachings that God laid out for them. When the psalmist acknowledges that God is good and does good, this is what is being referenced. God, you are good and do good. You know what is good, what is best for life. I'm not God. I don't know. I'm not designed to be an independent, perfect judge of what is good and not good. I'm designed to be a cooperative, faithful, trusting student of my creator, learning from him what is good and not good. The perfectionist has an overdosed preoccupation with doing the right thing and rigidly trust their own internal moral compass to know what that right thing is. The recovering perfectionist embraces the extra dose of attention to detail and process that God has wired them with, yet acknowledges that if they seek to do the independent, to do life independent of God, that their moral compass does not point true north. The recovering perfectionist says, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. So if our internal moral compass is flawed, how do we correct it? How do we adjust our moral compass to face true north? Psalm 119 helps give us this answer Consider with me verses 9 through 11. You can find those in your Bible as well. It says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. When we prayerfully invest time reading and meditating in the scriptures, we allow the Holy Spirit and the teachings of Jesus to influence and nudge and adjust our moral compass in the direction that it ought to face. Psalm 1 
is intentionally placed at the very beginning of the collection of Hebrew prose so that it might be the lens through which we read the psalm. It begins, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law or the teaching of Yahweh. And on his law, teaching, he meditates day and night. Verse 3, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So, my church family, whose voice are you listening to? Are you depending on the voices around you? Are you relying on the internal voice for direction? Are you clinging most tightly to the voice that is good? There are many inconveniences to our disrupted daily lives due to our quarantine situation. I'm sure many of you would agree with that, right? Many things have become more difficult to do. But by and large, the pace of life has maybe slowed down, even if it's just marginally. In a season where much feels unavailable to us, one thing that most of us have either access to more than normal is time, even if just a little bit, to spend in God's word with Jesus. Yes, you might need to be a little creative in carving that out. I know I do. (laughs) But now is a good time for us to invest more time with Jesus, storing up his word in our hearts that we might live well. There's a very good chance somebody close to you is either a perfectionist or a recovering one. There's a decent chance that you might be one yourself. Remember that often what is a little unique about us is put there on purpose. If you or someone you love is pretty concerned with the details and the process, you aren't, they aren't broken. Jesus made you that way on purpose, and it is good. Just as long as we remind ourselves and each other early and often that he is good, I need to learn from him. I like verse 96 in Psalm 119. says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your command is without limit. As I was preparing for this message this week, a song was popping into my head. Now, Josh is the one that usually has songs popping in and out of his head. So I was pretty excited that I had one pop into mine (laughs) that was so appropriate, and I couldn't help but want to share it with you. So before I pray with you, I want to share with you this song And uh, hopefully it will speak to you like it spoke to me. And after we watch the, the music video, then we'll pray together. Let the king of my heart be the mountain where 
drink from Oh, he is my song Let the king of my heart Be the shadow where I hide The ransom for my life Oh, he is my song You are good, good Thank you for being the good God that you are. 
Thank you for never giving up on us, never letting us down. Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to familiarize ourselves with your voice so that our compass can get turned to true north and get turned to you so that you are the one that is guiding what is good to us, what we think is good, what we decide to do is good. Lord, I pray that we could just surrender our hearts to you, surrender our, um, our choices, uh, surrender all responsibility to you so that you can be the one to guide us, be the one to be our compass, Lord. In your name I pray, amen.